Welcome to the podcast where we talk to guests about five moments in their lives they'll never forget. This is Backstory with Steve Legg. It is fabulous to have you with me today on the new show where I bring together an incredible cast of stars of stage and screen, stand-up comedians and magicians, writers and artists, leaders and entrepreneurs to chat about the five significant times in their lives they'll never forget. It's great to have you here. This is Lieutenant Colombo, and you're listening to Steve Legg's Backstory Podcast. The most fun you can have without a cigar and a trench coat. All right, I think I've bothered you enough today. i let you go ahead and listen. Oh, one more thing. Enjoy the show. And you will enjoy this one with my special guest, Mr. Rob Parsons, OBE. I've got to say, Rob is one of the UK's finest communicators. And during the past 30 years, he's spoken to over a million people in events held in the UK, as well as internationally. He's the founder of chairman of the national charity Care for the Family. And he's spoken extensively on family issues across the world. Rob has also been in demand to speak to the business community, drawing principles from his best-selling book, The Heart of Success, and his experience gained in being a co-founder of a legal consultancy, through which he advised thousands of lawyers on practice management and expansion. He's also my pal. Rob, welcome to the show. Yay! Steve, great to be with you. <laughs> Hello. That's a better intro than I get from my mother. Come on. Well, you're Rob Parsons, OBE. It's lovely to have you on the show. How's the past 12 months been, Rob? Oh, it's so strange, isn't it, mate? So, so strange. Diane, my wife, Diane, says she's fitter than ever because she's climbing the walls every day. <laughs> but I mean, it's uh, no, it's just, I mean, we'll get to it, eh? We'll get to it. Oh, man. So how's Care for the Family been, been affected by it? Has it been a busier time for you with people stuck at it's home? Been, it's been busy because we moved into new premises about 18 months ago, Steve, and we got a big auditorium here and film studio. So we've been filming all our stuff. It's amazing. So we've been getting all our stuff out on film. We've been in the studios knocking stuff out. So it's been incredible. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. We, I've got to say, I love Care for the Family. It's You've oh, so you. had such an impact on my life, I was a single parent for five years with four little ones and uh, I was considered toxic by some people and gigs were cancelled and I wasn't allowed to go and speak at certain events. But you were such an encouragement and I'm sure if you lived nearer, you'd probably have babysat for me so I could have had a curry <laughs> with the lads. But I really do appreciate it and we, we went on some of your single parent holidays where I met my lovely wife, yeah. Becca. Yeah, We've been you married. Did, didn't you? How about that? I know. So oh. thanks a million. I really appreciate it. Care for the family rocks. It really does. And I know you rock as well. well. You're a guitarist. Tell us I about was. playing you know, playing well, the guitar because you you are a cool dude, and I can imagine you with a quiff and a leather jacket rock rocking it. Well, you know, all that's true. Honestly, mate, all that's true. Kind of uh, uh, leather jacket, Elvis Presley style haircut, ten embassy facts in your back pocket, and. <laughs> And, and we started a group when I was about 16 called the Blue Jets. The drummer, uh, Dennis Bryan, went on to play for a group called Amen Corner. They had a couple of number one hits. He ended up playing for the Bee Gees. Wow. Um, and actually he pulled out a book called My Life with the Bee Gees. He lives in, in California now. 
And uh, apparently he talked about his early life. So I bought this book on Amazon. And I thought, oh, perhaps I'm in it. I look in the index, nothing there. And I go to the front page and it says, um, when I was uh, in my mid-teens, I started a group with some friends in Cardiff. But I left them because they were crap. <laughs> Thanks a bunch, Dennis. Thanks, mate. Uh, but the funny thing was, um, Steve, is when I was 19, I joined this group. And we go, we go to London to make a record. And I'm so excited. I've only just joined them because their rhythm guitarist had left. And we get to the studio and the producer said, I was a rubbish guitarist. They gave me a 12-string guitar. I couldn't tune it, let alone play it. <laughs> and they said, to, they said to me, uh, there's something wrong with this sound. And to my horror, the producer isolated all the instruments, bass guitar, lead guitar, and then me. Plink it, they kicked me off the record. Yeah. So uh, when I'm about 52, 55, I think I've never really learned to play the guitar properly. So I'm going to learn again. So I, I get a guitar tutor in Cardiff. And I go to this lesson, Steve. And in the first lesson, I tell this bloke what happened to me when I was 19. He said, oh, don't worry, we'll sort that. So we have some lessons. And then he's away for a fortnight and I'm away for a fortnight. In that month, he says, I want you to practice knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. So I practice for a month. And I come to the lesson. This is absolutely true. And he says, okay, Rob, go for it. And I, I do it. And I, and I shake a guitar like I've seen him do on the telly at the end of it, you know. And Steve, I honestly thought he might say, well, I've heard Clapton. But that was amazing. Do you know what he actually said to me? Go on. He said, I can see why they kicked you off that record. <laughs> off that record. <laughs> and do you know, he said, you haven't got any rhythm, have you? And do you know the funny thing is, Stephen, this is strange. By then, I'd been a senior partner, 12 office legal practice. I think I'd written 20 books. I traveled the world. I never went back for another lesson. So our, our kind of self-esteem and security is a little more shallow than we think, isn't it? That kind of odd comment. So uh, there we go. Well, music's loss is speak the speaking world's gain. This is the Backstory Podcast with Steve Legg and friends. So here we are, failed musician. <laughs> I won't bring it up again, Mr. Rob Parsons. Um, you are an outstanding speaker. You're one of those I could listen to forever. You are brilliant at speaking, Rob. How did it begin? Have you, were you always a competent speaker at school, for example, no, doing presentations? No, 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 not at all. I, I wasn't any good at school. I did, my mum could read and write, but not much more than that. And uh, we didn't have any books in our home. But I'm about 15, and I'm uh, walking down the road one day. And, uh, you know, I got my Elvis Presley style haircut, my leather jacket, my ice blue jeans, guitar over my shoulder. And all I want to do is be a rock and roll singer. And a guy comes up to me, an older man from our church. Yeah, I didn't, my parents didn't go to church, but he sent me to this gospel hall on the corner of our street. Arthur Tovey. Arthur and his wife were poor, Steve. They lived in two rooms in his mother's house. He had a bad speech impediment. He'd never passed an exam. They were told they couldn't have kids of their own. He didn't have any money, but he, they loved kids. And, and he said to me, I'm going to do a Bible study in my home next Wednesday for some teenagers. Would you like to come? Look, when all you want to do is to walk on the stage in Las Vegas and dressed in gold lame and have girls <laughs> throw things at you, a Bible study on a Wednesday night's not the greatest offer you've ever had, is it? But I said, yes. And he, he, he took us into his home and he played table tennis with He bought us fish and chips. And then one day, when I'm about 17, he says, I think God has given you a gift of public speaking. And I'm going to teach you. Which was scary because he was the worst public speaker you've ever heard in your life, Steve. <laughs> and he taught me to tell Bible stories to kids. 
And then, and then I just went on from there. And when I was about 39, the Law Society uh, asked me to speak to a thousand lawyers in Vienna at their annual conference. And I'm about to go on stage and I decide to ring Arthur. He lived in a little prefabricated house in the north of Cardiff. And I rang him and I said, Arthur, I'm about to go on stage. A thousand lawyers out there. You taught me to do this. He said, did I? <laughs> and I was promoting one of my books uh, in America a couple of years afterwards. And... Um, in a radio station, and they got him live on air as a surprise to me. Wow. And the radio host at the end of the interview said, well, Mr. Tovey, what do you think of the boy who came to your Bible class? He said, I'm proud of him. I cried on air, Steve. Wow, I bet. They, he had nothing. But he, the incredible thing, I think, about people like that, they're dream catchers, and they can often achieve in other people what they could never do themselves. And so um, I learned to speak uh, through little old Arthur Tovey. You know, something. That is amazing. And your book... He died, he died not long ago. And I, I went to see him at the hospital just before he died. He was practically comatose. But I put my mouth right next to his ear and I said, Arthur, thank you. You changed my life. And I kissed him. Wow. Bless him. Hey? Eh? Wow. Your Heart of Communication book is outstanding. Thank you. Really outstanding. And you took it on the road with Harriet and we came along to Brighton. And, uh, you know, I've been speaking for over 30 years, but I learned so much. Uh, I, I've even changed my contract now when people can book me to have, cho to have chocolates on the front row. And everywhere I go, they curse me because I say, get rid of that aisle down the middle. <laughs> Both amazing no, tips from you. Absolutely astounding. You. Do you actually have a, a top three tips for someone who wants to be a better speaker, Rob? Yeah, I, I honestly think most people could improve by just a couple of things. Number one, the eyes. You've got to look in people's eyes. You've got, you know, sometimes you, you've got them in the, you've got to look at the front row and at the back. If there's anybody in the balcony, remember the balcony. When you look into somebody's eyes, you say, you matter to me, you're somebody. Don't speak mm -hmm. uh, above an audience. And then I also think most, most speakers could benefit just by being shorter. I, if, I, I've listened to lots of sermons in churches. If only they were 10 minutes shorter. And some of them were only 10 minutes long to begin with, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> and then thirdly, the power of stories. Mm. Stories are older than fire. When we tell stories, you know, I watch people say, where'd you get your stories? I watch. I watch. You know, when I, I, I was about um, 21, a, a young lawyer turned up outside our church. He was 31 years old. Alfa Romeo, good looking, beautiful wife, lovely home, legal practice. He seemed to have the world at his feet. And you know what he said to me? We, I was in a little terraced house just in that street. We didn't have any money. He said, I'm going to pay for you to go to law school. I want you to become a lawyer and work for me. And and he did. And eventually I, I did. And, and Steve, the other day I'm coming along Paddington Station. It's rainy and I'm with some friends and, and there's a bit of a flack up as an elderly man has fallen just in front of us. And I go there and a man in his mid-80s is He's fallen on the floor and his legs bleeding. And I go to, it's John. And I, I kneel down and I wipe the blood away. And as I'm putting a plaster on, I look in his face and, and the young man in the Alfa male comes back to me all those years ago. And I think, wow, how fast time goes. Mm -hmm. And and you know what? When I'm speaking in public, I try to tell stories like that. I try to see things and remember them and apply them. Because stories uh, open our hearts, uh, Steve. Brilliant tips. Brilliant. You're listening to the Backstory Podcast with Steve Legg and friends. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the memories. 
So, Rob Parsons, you speak about family life and kids and um, marriage. Has it always been plain sailing, you and the lovely Diane? No, I mean, oh, flipping heck. I, I, um, I, I, when we were when we were going out together, uh, we were about, I was about twenty-one. I was in teacher training college, and uh, and and she just blooming finished with me. I couldn't believe it, uh, and and so uh, my, I'm totally heartbroken, honestly. And there's a bloke in our church that's got this very expensive men's outfitters, and he says to me, "I'm going to give you a suit." to cheer you up <laughs> and he gave me this sand colored suit and a, a, a peach colored shirt and a tie to match but I, he didn't give me any shoes and I, we didn't have much money and only had black shoes so I got black shoes and a light brown suit so I go to Cardiff market and I buy shoe paint and I paint my shoes light brown and after about a fortnight I think I'm going to meet Diane so she used to come off a bus to, to work at a certain time and I hid around the corner and I got all this gear on and I come around the corner as if I've just bumped into it she says oh you look nice so I said well thank you she said I'm going on a holiday with my parents next week the Cornwall and the caravan do you want to come so I say I'm quite busy but I'll try and make it so I, 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 I get a lift on there but I've got such confidence in this suit Steve I put it in my bag and before I get to the caravan, I go to my garage and I stick this suit, tie, shoes on, and it's hammering down with rain. And the caravan's in the middle of a field, and I got this suit on, sand color suit, shoes with shoe paint on. I knock on the caravan door, she opens it, I got a collar and tie on. She said, Oh, you need to dress up. I said, Let's go for a walk. And we're going for a walk across the field. I grab her hand and I ask her to marry me. And she said, I will. And I look down. And the shoe paint is coming off my, off my <laughs> shoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, they're great memories, aren't they? I mean, just incredible memories. We've been together now, I suppose, best part of 60 years. It's a long time, isn't it? 60 years? You don't look that old. Well, yeah, we started going out when we were 15. I'm quite old now, so it's getting on that way, flipping it. Are you telling me you're, you're yeah. mid-70s? I'm 72, actually. Yeah. I was going to say. So it's getting that way. <laughs> Rob, do you have any tips for couples struggling in lockdown? Because so many of us have been stuck together with households, with, you know, husband and wives and kids. Any tips? Yeah. Yeah, buy a tent, mate, and live in the garden. That's <laughs> what <laughs> I recommend. <laughs> no, you just got, I don't know. You just, people are different. Are there no easy answers? You know, I often think, you know, sometimes you, if you've got a garden and you can get you, you've got kids, you get them in that garden. But I think we do a lot of work with single parents, and mm. and some single parents, you know, they're there with a, a high-rise block of flats and three small kids. It's so hard, isn't it? And I, and I think we just got to be easy on each other and, and look after each other. And and if we are single parents, we we, we got to find somebody to come alongside us. And and if if we're not, we got to get alongside folk like that and help them and be there for them. And and I think if we're in a, a, a marriage ourselves, to to be a bit more forgiving than we normally are and just cut each other a bit of slack because they're tough times, aren't mm -hmm. they? The, and I think the, these times they kind of emphasise both the good and the bad of our family life. Um, you know, you you find good bits in it, but Boy, the pressure shows. But we'll come through it. Although, Steve, a lot of families we're seeing in Care for the Family are really, really struggling. Mm. You know, a lot of families break up just after Christmas because that time together, often a pressurized time, just brings those faults, those, those fault lines to the fore. And I, I think the same is happening. So 
kind of go as easy as we can on each other. I like it, Rob, like it. In the latest bumper edition of Sorted magazine, big name exclusive interviews, Hollywood A-listers, TV adventurer Bear Grylls, inspirational true life stories, adrenaline-fueled sports features, all this plus gadgets, entertainment, motoring, movies and technology, plus probably the greatest team of Christian writers ever assembled. Available now from high street retailers nationwide or visit sortedmag.com. Sorted for men for life. Rob Parsons, you've set up many initiatives. You have some great ideas, but not many people will know about your strugglers group. Tell us about your strugglers group. Yeah, well, it was we got two kids, and uh, just after Lloyd was born um, in uh, in 1980, actually, Diane woke up one morning. This is how she puts it. She said it was a, a perfect morning. The sun was streaming through the windows. Uh, I had a little girl of three years old and a new baby boy. I was lying next to my husband who loved me, and we were in a nice home. The only problem was, she said, I just whispered to Rob, darling, I don't think I can cope anymore. Would you take Katie to nursery today? And Steve, I remember saying, sure, I'll take her to nursery. And if I thought that was going to be over that day, that week, that month, that year, I was wrong. Those words ushered in years of darkness for Diana. Diana's immune system crashed. She went into a depressive illness. And, and boy, they were tough times, Steve. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were part of a really good church, but Diana won well enough to get out. And, and one day she said to me after a couple of years, Rob, do you think we could start something in our home? And, and the leaders of the church said, go for it. And we, we started something called the Strugglers Group. It was for people. We did it once a week in the evening for people who kind of gone through emotional breakdown or lost their faith or didn't believe anything at all or just gone through some tough times in life. And we didn't have any clever answers to share with them, Steve. We were pretty broken ourselves, but we just listened. And people crowded into that group. And, Steve, I'll never forget one night, there's a very bright young social worker there, but very cynical, and she didn't have any faith at all. And, and, and I said to her one night, Jill, I'm really sorry that Dan and I are not in a better place. We're, we're not a great example, are we, of Christians? She said, oh, you're fine. And, and she went home that night, and I said to Diane, you know, as we're washing up, I said, you know, Jill's so cynical. I, I doubt she'll ever find faith. And that night, about midnight, my phone went by the side of my bed, and it was her. And I said, Jill. She said, Rob, I'm sorry to bother you so late, but... But I was driving home over the mountain on my own, and, and suddenly I, I'm filled with a sense of forgiveness towards my family and the things they've done to me. And, and I, I sense this presence in the car. She said, my heart is physically hurting. He has met me. She, she went, God has, has met her. Christ has met her. She said, will it be like this tomorrow? My heart is physically hurting. I said, whoa, I don't know, Jill. It's never happened to me. And... And, and Steve, that was just one tiny example of many things we saw in that struggler's group. And it just struck me the sheer power of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. That when we share our weakness, sometimes we allow people to find answers themselves and hope that, that they never thought possible. The older struggler's group. You're listening to the Backstory Podcast, where we remember the good times, the things you love, the things you are, the things you never want to lose. 
Well, it's been brilliant having Rob Parsons on the show. Rob is one of those people you always feel a bit better and you feel you're doing better as a, as a Christian after, after listening to him and spending time with him. So thank you so much, Rob. Um, we've got time for one last memory. You've had many meals with the good and the great, ordinary people, all sorts of people. Tell us about dinner with a famous person. Well, when Diane was about uh, 17, 18, she was in love with Cliff Richard. Uh, she's, she still is probably, I think. Yeah, although he's, he's getting on a bit now, isn't he? And God, I, he's I, I, 80, she, I tell you. She, 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 believed, yeah, she believed that one day God would allow her to meet him. So well, when we were 21, we'd been on a walk for Tear Fund. I was a youth club leader, and I had to present the check to Cliff in Cardiff. So it's in this little church, not a big place, and I go in there, my check, and Diane's with me, and, and he's in the corner there, surrounded by girls. And, and I say, you're going to meet him now? No, she said, I'm going to trust God for better than that. I said, really? She said, yeah. About um, 15 years ago, a friend of mine, Lyndon Bowen, Ministry of Care, he said, we're going into Cliff's house to film. I know Diane loves him. Did you wanna, could you wanna, does she want to come in with the film crew? I said to Diane, your prayer's been answered. Oh, no, she said, I'm going to trust God for better than that. I said, what are you hoping for? Just before Roy Castle died, we got to know Roy and Fiona really well, Steve. And, mm -hmm. and one night, Fiona rang me. It was a Friday night. She said, what are you doing next Wednesday? I said, nothing. She said, we got Cliff and, and Bill, his manager, coming to dinner. Why don't you join us and, on the Wednesday night, but don't tell Diane. So, so we, get to, we get to their home, and it's about 7 o'clock. We're in the kitchen, and the table's laid for 6. So it's Roy and Fiona and Steve and Corny Chalk yeah. uh, were already there. But there's, there's another plan. So we say, well, who else is joining us? We can see it. Oh, they'll be here in a minute. And here comes Cliff. And Fiona sits down right next to him for the whole evening. So prayers are answered. I'm out in the cold. She's in love with Cliff even more. And everybody's happy. <laughs> love it. Love it. We love Cliff. He's brilliant. He looks good for his age as well, doesn't he? He's a good man. And he's still playing tennis, apparently. And, uh, yeah, no, he's done well, hasn't he? I think this last time has been very hard for him, this last thing. But he's come through it well. And I was glad to hear him say the other day that... Uh, his faith has sustained him, and I'm mm. I'm I'm glad for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. We've just chatted to him. He's in the latest sorted, so it's a fascinating interview. I'm a That's huge brilliant. fan. He's yeah. absolutely brilliant. Rob, we're almost out of time. Thanks so much for sharing yes, your right. memories. How oh, would how would you geez. like to be remembered? Because you've achieved some amazing thing. You've set up an incredible initiatives that have impacted so many lives over so oh, many years. Please. How would you like to be remembered? Have we got what? Have we got have we got a minute left. Have we got? A couple yeah, of course minutes? we have. Yeah. Well, let me tell you how I'd like to remember. A friend of mine uh, was brought up in a farm in, in a valley in Canada. And he said at the end of the valley was a wood. And in the wood was a, a, an old recluse who used to live, an old alcoholic in a little hut in the middle of the wood. And he said the rumor got around amongst us kids that if you were under 10 years old and he caught you, he'd eat you alive. And he said every Christmas, my father used to carry some groceries down the valley and into the wood to give to old Joe. And he said, one year, he said, it was Christmas Eve and, and it had snowed the night before. And my dad said, will you help me carry some groceries tomorrow, Bruce? He said, the bags are heavy. He said, he said I was nine years old. I couldn't believe my old man would want me to be eaten alive. But, but I said I would. And, and we set out on Christmas morning down the valley towards the wood. And our boots made virgin marks in the snow. And 
And as we get near the wood, I see the smoke coming up from my cottage and my heart's pounding. I'm getting scared. And, and now I'm in the darkness of the trees and, and I knock on the door and, and this old man opens the door and I smell stale tobacco and alcohol and perspiration. I don't want to go in. And dad says, come on, son, sit down. And, and I sit down and old Joe sits opposite me. And my dad says, well, Joe, we've, we brought you a couple of provisions just to show that we love you, Joe. Uh, Merry Christmas, Joe. And then he said, I saw an incredible thing. I saw a tear roll down Joe's face onto a dirty shirt and from his bond with his beard. And, uh, and then he reached out and he grabbed my father's arm and he said, Don, you are a bearer of hope. Mm-hmm. He said, well, the last time we made that journey, he said, Joe died early on in the next January. And Steve, I'd love to be remembered like that. I, I'd love to be remembered as someone who came to people, perhaps a single parent mom or dad or a marriage that was in trouble or somebody who'd lost the will to live in and brought them a little hope that uh, tomorrow doesn't have to be like yesterday. Wow. Rob Parsons, bearer of hope. Thanks a million. You've been listening to the Backstory Podcast with Steve Legg and friends. Catch you next time.